How many of you spend much time in the minor prophets? <laughs> There's something about the minor prophets, by the time of year that you're reading through the Bible, by the time you get to the minor prophets and you begin to read, uh, you know, woe unto you for this and woe unto you for that, after a while you, you go, oh, oh, do I really want to read through this? And uh, when the Lord put this message on my heart, uh, I, I don't want it to be a, a sermon of condemnation, but I, I do believe that this is one of the clearest messages that God has ever given to me. And uh, so if you'll open with, uh, with me tonight to Hosea, Hosea the 7th chapter, please. We'll start reading at the 11th verse of chapter 7 of Hosea. Ephraim also is like a silly dove, without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I will bring them down like birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Woe to them, for they have fled from me. Destruction to them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. They did not cry out to me with their heart. When they wailed upon their beds, they assembled together for grain and new wine. They rebel against me. Though I disciplined and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against me. Re they return, but not to the Most High. They are like, deceitful, uh, like a deceitful bow. Their prince shall fall by the sword. For the cursings of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Heavenly Father, though the message came so clearly, Lord, I know that without your power, without your anointing, without your strength, Lord, it'll never accomplish the thing that you have purposed it for. Father, I ask tonight that the anointing might be upon this word, and I ask God that every one of us might have an ear to hear and a heart that's receptive. God, would you just speak to us tonight? Would you bring the word forth with power? Would you anoint this pastor to preach in Jesus' name? Amen. It starts out here, and it says that Ephraim is like a silly dove in verse 11. Could anything be more silly than to flee from him? 
After all, He's the one who redeemed us. To flee from Him is to flee for destruction, as it says in verse 13. To think that such silliness is going on in our community, in our state, in our country today. People fleeing from God. And look what the Lord has done for them. First of all, he says here in verse 13, he says, I redeem them. Think of their wretched condition that they were in in Egypt. How they had to go out and they had to look for their own straw and, and uh, they had to work in the brick killings. And, uh, they had to bring out so many bricks every day. Regardless, they were under the cruel taskmasters. And then he redeemed them from the house of bondage. Think of the condensation that came, that coming down to dwell in a bush. Can you imagine anything uh, more humbling than that? God coming down to, do, to dwell in a bush so that he could speak his mind unto Moses. Think of what He has done for us. Just think of where you've come from. Think of the sin that was in your life before. God has been so gracious. You know, the more you've been delivered from, the more you realize just how good God is. God has been so loving. Think how humbling it was that he came down in a human, to take the form of a human, to live amongst us, to dwell amongst us, to be tempted in all ways, likewise as we are, yet without sin. I guess Philippians 2 and... Uh, Starting at the fifth verse, this is familiar scripture, but it somehow it always speaks to me in such a way. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why did he do that? Why, why would he die in my place? Why would he suffer all those things on Calvary's cross for someone like me? And of course the answer is, he loves us. 
Jesus loved us. And there's no one on this earth that loves you quite as much as Jesus. I don't think that we can quite comprehend the love of God in Christ Jesus. It goes beyond what we can grasp with this gray matter. It's a love that goes far beyond any other experience that we have ever experienced. What a sacrifice. What love. Secondly, in our scripture, in Hosea, we see what they did with the Lord. And in verse 13, again, it says that they have fled from me. Reminds me of the scripture that says he came onto his own and his own received him not. And to me, that's some of the saddest scripture that I ever come across. The fact that God loves us so much and to have people actually fleeing from him is almost uncomprehendable. How many of you know God is everywhere? God is everywhere. There's just really no place that you can flee from God. If you turn to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, I'm going to start reading at the seventh verse. Where can I go from the Spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. There just is no place where God is not. You can't flee far enough to get away from God. It's impossible. And yet, in our heart, in our attitude towards God, in our choosing of our own will, it's possible to leave God, to flee from God. But you know, it's a sure sign that something's wrong when a child flees from the one who loves him the most. You know, a guilty child, they'll run and hide. They'll 
run away from the gaze of the Father. They don't want to look at Father's eyes. Some flee like Jonah. It's not that they don't know what it is that God wants. But out of disobedience, they just decide, I can't stay around here. I've got to go as far away from God as I can possibly get. And then many flee like Adam. Because they know they have sinned against him and they feel guilty. They feel ashamed. But how different it was for David. Even though he had sinned a great sin. In Psalm 143 in verse 9 in the King James it says deliver me O Lord from my, from my enemies I flee unto thee to hide me if you're going to hide hide in the Lord Jesus Christ amen it's utter madness as we were talking about this morning about the thirsty soul going to all of these broken cisterns fleeing from the source of living water Peter when he was you remember all these when Jesus said uh, uh, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood you have no life in you and and uh, it says, from that time forth, many didn't walk with him. And he turned to his disciples and he said, will you leave me also? And Peter spoke out and said, where shall we go? <laughs> Only you have the words of eternal life. Where can we go? If we don't come to Jesus, where can we go? If we don't accept the love of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is given to us by Jesus Christ, what are we going to do? Thirdly, I, I see here in our text what they said about him. It says here that they have spoken lies against me. You know, those that flee from the mercy of God are likely to speak untruth, make excuses for themselves, tell things that are just not so. They dragged the Holy One of Israel down to their level, wouldn't they? They speak lies against them when they say that God does not love me. God loves every person. He just does not love their sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Secondly, they speak lies when they say that they need to make themselves better before they can come to God. I want to tell you, God died, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. You don't have to make yourself any better to come to Jesus Christ. You come just as you are. Like the song says, without one plea. Amen? Thirdly, they speak lies when they say that the death of Christ was not for them. They speak lies when they say that simple faith is not enough to justify a person. They speak lies when they say sin are too many for God to forgive. I don't care what your sin might have been, God is merciful. God will forgive. They speak lies when they say that God does not answer their prayers. God answers every prayer. May not be the answer we want to hear, but God does answer. Those that speak such lies show they have come under the power of Satan because he's the father of lies. Amen? And the fourth thing that I want to bring to your attention here in our text tonight is they see where, I see here where they go, they flee, they flee, where they flee to. It says, woe unto them, verse 13. They're fleeing to destruction, they're, they're, they're running away from God. They rush into grief and misery, into destruction of all peace and fellowship with God. They run to turn away from our Redeemer and to turn away from our Redeemer is to turn back into bondage. Friends, I want to I tell you something. Our nation has been fleeing from God. Our nation is really it's really not a nation under God anymore. They they have done exactly the same thing that Israel did right here. There may be churches on every corner. But don't let anyone fool you that we are a nation who trusts in God. Who trusts in God. A nation who is under God. 
That's far from the truth today. This is a message for the church. And I want you to listen to what it has to say. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. But you know, there is hope. There is hope because the very next words that God brought to my mind after giving me that message is Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18 and verse 7. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation again whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Now, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. But as I sat in my office, these words came to me so clearly that I knew that it was God speaking. He didn't finish there, and I've written them down because I wanted to deliver them just as God gave them. It is time for the church to draw nigh unto the Lord that he might draw nigh unto them. It is time to re uh, rent the heart and not the garments. It is time to weep between the porch and the altar. It is time to repent and to intercede. Now, I'll let you be the judge tonight. I believe that God spoke to me. I've delivered the message. It is time for the church to draw nigh unto the Lord that he might draw nigh unto them. It is time to rend your hearts and not your garments. It is time to weep between the porch and the altar. It is time to re for repentance and intercession. I think that it's time. God, I believe, has declared that 
that if we'll listen, that he will relent from that which he has purposed. But I believe if we don't begin to pray and we don't begin to intercede and we don't begin to change our wicked ways, if we don't look unto the Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith, if we don't get down to business with God, I believe just as surely as I stand here that there is destruction on its way. I think it's time we gather around the altars. I think it's time that we get down to business with God. I could bring to you 2 Chronicles 7.14. Everyone knows what that says. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, there's such a unawareness of what's taking place. Such a complacency. The church has a name that it's alive and yet it's dead. We may have great numbers coming to the Lord. But are they doing anything for the Lord? Or are they Christian in name only? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Oh my God. Lord, I believe that you are going to require that judgment starts at the household of God. I believe it's already started. And I believe that it's time that we as Christians begin to pray and to intercede, that we begin to take to heart the things that we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. I believe that there is time that is running out, that the church needs to turn to you during this hour of need, that they may look unto you, the author and the finisher of their faith, that, God, we might intercede on behalf of our nation, that, God, you would return to our nation, and that, God, we might once again know the freedom of religion, that we might know the freedom to worship, that we might walk the streets, that we might see people's lives turned around, we might see souls saved, bodies healed. God, I believe you still want to do these things. I believe you wanted to do them in Israel, but they would not. They would only flee from you. Instead of coming to you, they would go to the other nations. They would go to the world. They would go everywhere but to you. God, tonight we come to you. Oh, Lord, turn us around. 
Turn us around, we pray. Oh God, help us. That we would put on sackcloth and ashes, even as Nineveh. That God, we would repent before you. For Lord, the blood of the innocent are upon our hands. Sin runs rampant in our streets. Crime is on the increase. And God, it's impossible to find justice in our system. Lord, we need Thee. We need a revival that would start with God's people. Start with us right here on the corner of Fall Street and Clinton. Start with my heart. Start with the hearts of the elders. God, bring a revival to this nation. Help us to realize that you're our only hope. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah.